Hello, welcome to episode 42. This is Chris Rainsforth is back. He is the head of best practice, operational best practice at Verin and was the second proper guest I had, episode three. Um, I've always enjoyed chatting to Chris. You can tell because this is a long one. We go full Joe Rogan on this one. So uh, hopefully you're, I was going to say a long journey. People aren't really doing them so much anymore. But yeah, this one is a good <clears throat> nearly couple of hours and we'll be doing more chats like this pretty much every other week. We just enjoy having a chat, so hopefully you do too. Hey, Chris. Chris Rainsforth from Verin is back. You were one of the, I think you were the second or third guest on... I put yeah, well, one of the pioneers uh, back exactly. in the day, Matt, and you've gone from strength to strength since then, mind. Uh, I feel privileged to be back uh, based on the calibre of guests you've had after me uh, that first time. So, yeah, I'm very privileged. I'd like to say that, I, that things have changed massively and I've really, really improved, but nothing really has changed. It's still just me wanting to talk to people that I find interesting and seeing what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's where we'll get to today. I think that's the, that's the thing. We'll just talk and see what happens. People might learn some stuff from this. We will, we'll find out. I hope so. I mean, we, we caught up recently, didn't we, for a virtual coffee? And I know um, those are becoming more and more, well, everyone's been doing them in, um, in, the, in the pandemic. And I, th- I guess they just, is it a sign of our progression that they don't feel awkward. I can remember the first time someone invited me to one at lockdown one or whatever the, the prequel was called. And it just felt a bit weird. It was fine when, when I got on and we were chatting, but at first it was a bit, oh, this is a bit strange. Yeah, I think we have come accustomed to it a little bit. It is, it is weird. And it's still now I've got to meetings and st- there's still some people that are reluctant to turn cameras on things but i think it's becoming more acceptable to do those just general catch-ups i think people are doing that i mean i'll do that with, with some of the guys on my team we'll just i'll just say look have you got five minutes for a chat just to just to kind of clear your head around stuff or just bounce some ideas off and videos on having that there um, so i think in one way it's um it's helped through the pandemic for a lot of things but i think it's helped in building broader relationships especially in my world where we are a distributed workforce anyway, and there's a lot of talk around distributed workforce. So as a team, we only get together maybe one, two times a year anyway, and that's always been the case. What I've thought or what I've felt over the last kind of eight, nine months is that we're catching up a lot more than we have done in between those um, face-to-face sessions, and I think it's been a real positive step forward for people. Definitely. Have you had anyone, someone said something to me that was interesting the other day around um, not it's it's the fact that you can give yourself meetings and some people will say well this has always been the way but meetings on zoom or whatever the format is that people are using back to back to back to back near enough all day every day all week and that kind of zoom fatigue or it's it's meeting fatigue but with a slight difference because there is just it seems like unless the the normal sort of chit chat that you have if you're face to face it is feels to me like it's kind of really shortened and you have to make a conscious effort to have that chit chat rather than go straight into work because if you're just constant work and then go to another meeting another meeting another meeting i absolutely get how it was one of my team actually she said i'm just exhausted yeah. zoom exhaustion 
And we've started as a result to really push that people have to be far more on top of their calendar to give themselves those breaks, go and walk outside, go and have lunch. It sounds so obvious, but is that, is that something? I, yeah, no, I agree. And I think that it's really important for me that we kind of, you know, protect your own time during the day. I think that's really important to do. I think you're right. People on Zoom, they get on. And because people expect people to be available all the time now, because you're not going anywhere so the expectation is unless you've got another meeting in you're available and sometimes you, 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 you're at a loss to say no so you don't say no the next thing you know you've you log on at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever it is and it is it's back to back to back so i think there is a lot of we have to take that responsibility as an organization to to make sure people have got that time um, when we're doing stuff face to face, especially for me, you know, you could go, it could be in a different city every day of the week, and you have those natural breaks and those natural pieces of downtime, whether you're traveling, whether you're in the car, whether you're on a train, whatever those things might be, you have some natural downtime, which builds your energy up to then go into that next meeting. I think, you know, I do sometimes feel sorry for the people that are booked to meet with me at kind of 4 5 o'clock in an afternoon and think, you're not getting the best of me here because I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted, you know. Uh, and, I, and sometimes I will look at that and go, look, can we push this out to tomorrow morning or, or just change it because I'm, I'm not convinced I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get the best out of the session. And I think we've got to be really careful about that, that our, um, we don't get compounded by all that additional workload. Um, it's a different type of busy and we have to cope with it in different ways I think. What about your kind of um, how did you react personally when it you the kind of here we go lockdown lockdown two what's your lockdown journey been like? So lockdown so it's night and day from lockdown one to lockdown two so lockdown one was uh, a complete mess personally uh, work-wise you know fine you know we're very lucky that I, you know, I'm very lucky that I've managed to work all the way through the pandemic and um, I think that's a saving grace and I kind of look at kind of silver linings and positivity through all this and, and one of the things was that I, managed, I, I could work full time, you know, there was no real impact on me in that way so took that but in, in the sense that my whole persona and those that know me will listen to this, will kind of know I'm a very much a people person. I like being around people and you know, I spoke about this the last time we spoke, Martin, on the first time I was on the podcast, the, the the beauty of our industry is the people that work within it and losing that day-to-day conversation with people and being on site with people and looking at how they're engaging people and the culture that they're developing and those types of things is what really kind of gets me kind of flowing in terms of my creativity and, and, and those types of things when that was taken away I kind of probably went into a bit of a dark place I was drinking heavily I was eating badly I was you know not looking after myself any way shape or form and when we came out of lockdown at the end of that that first lockdown i was 16 16 plus stone i'm not even gonna it, it makes me sick thinking about it but i was in a real bad way both mentally and physically i wasn't I wasn't where i needed to be and then when they hit lockdown too so after lockdown i said right i need to do something make some changes around how i kind of behave and how i look after myself and started those changes and then lockdown two happened and there was always that risk that actually you revert back to how you were um and no, it was more of I need to continue that. So I've probably got a bit um, kind of committed on stuff. I've got a very, you know, what you call it, what's, what's, the, what's the word, uh, addictive personality. So I've become addicted to, to eating better, healthier, going to the gym, looking after myself. And I've kind of made those changes maintained through 
this second lockdown for, for whatever it is. And yeah, converted the garage into a gym, going out for a walk every day, uh, early doors, those types of things, just making positive changes to, to hopefully that when I am kind of sat in work and doing what I need to do, I'm giving everything my best attention that I can. Well, you're looking super, super healthy, svelte-like. I know, it's, it's weird, nothing fits. It was, it was, there was the other thing as well, right, that triggered it. It came out of lockdown one and, I, you know, we had to start doing stuff. And I went to put on, I'd, I'd lived in elasticated pants for, for kind of six months, uh, shorts and tracksuit bottoms. And I, I went to put on a pair of jeans when we were allowed to go out again. I thought, oh, we'll go, we'll go out. And, and, and it was like, no. And, and, and I'm a true Yorkshireman. I was like, well, there's two things I can do here. I either lose the weight or I buy new clothes. And I'm, you know, I'm a bit adverse to spending money. So I thought, I'm not buying new stuff. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just fit back into the stuff that I already own. The problem is I've gone too far the other way now and all that stuff doesn't fit. It's too big. So you, kinda, you can't, can't win. Luckily for everyone, this is just audio because Chris is naked at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, but again, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the perks working from home, right? <laughs> How much of this do you think is um, habit? Because me, me and you shared, didn't we? We, we had similar sort of experiences in that um, lockdown one, summer, um, of course. It, the thing is, I think people need to understand, you can talk about stuff whilst having the caveat above you that the pandemic is a global yeah. tragedy and, you know, people have really, really suffered and we're not making light of it, but we're just talking about our personal experiences. I feel like I have to say that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get some comments. Um, but lockdown one, I think like you, I've always, um, in this most recent role, from moving from being in a contact centre permanently to travelling, being at events, being in London, being at our centre in Exeter, was a lot of variety but I was used to some of the week working at home. So it wasn't that much of a transition. And like you, been very lucky that I've continued to work. But for lockdown one, just got into bad habits. Um, it just felt like as soon as work finished, I'm not even a massive, I've never been a big beer drinker. Um, people that know me at university will laugh at that, but I moved on. <laughs> um, but I just started getting into the habit of, with the, with the shop, buying bottles of beer and yep. just having every single night four or five big bottles of beer. And it was only when we knew lockdown was ending that the like household recycling centres reopened. I was, I was there at the weekend and I was thinking, I, I've been here nearly an hour just putting beer bottles in this bank non-stop. It was like a, one of those woodpeckers against a pencil. Just... <laughs> <laughs> And like, I think that was it. We got we. I think we just all had a bit of carte blanche to behave how we wanted to behave for, for whatever reason. And I, I'm not saying everybody went that way, and other people did other no, stuff. No, right? You know, I think other people did other things to try and cope with the situation that we'd found ourselves in. But that was a big thing for me. Was you know, drinking became really easy. Um, you know, just eating bad food became. And I think some of it was because we were. Uh, because of the restriction of you know being in a lockdown and, and, and being in there, you try to make things fun, don't you? You try to do stuff and you kind of go, what can I do that makes it fun? So, you know, actually, you know, having a drink and, 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 and eating 
bad food makes you feel better because you know and, and those type of things that that's what i got into was just like what do i do to make myself feel better um you know you, you kind of mentally you struggle with all this stuff and you know we, we talked around you know talk around the impact on mental health through the pandemic for, for various you know people it's it's a massive challenge for us and how we come out of it is, is going to be a big challenge for, for us as an industry for sure um but personally it's a challenge how do you change your behavior now do you do you, do you kind of not continue doing the negative stuff that you've done over the last few months and, and, and through that and that's been the biggest shock for me was I kind of sat back and said look you know if you continue down this path you know you're going to get yourself into some serious pr- trouble you know um so you need to change and that's the trigger everyone has to find that trigger point for them to change a behavior and you know unfortunately some people will will come into this thing and and and, and create a negative behavior i think that's what i did i created a negative behavior in myself there's lots of people lots of examples of using the pandemic to trigger a positive change and a positive behavior and that's great and we should kind of applaud that and celebrate the fact that people have done that but you know the, the, the thing for me through all this is that everyone's on their own journey through this and we can support people and we have a responsibility and especially operationally and when i if i kind of link it back to where we work we you know we and how we work in our industry every one of our people are on their own journey um and 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 we've got to maintain that level of support and flexibility and an understanding of, of of everyone's difference and everyone's own journey to make sure that we support them in the right way um and but we've got to let them make those changes themselves and they we can't force things upon people we, we can never do that um what we can do is make sure we are in a position that allows us to understand and adapt and change and uh, you know all the things that we need to do to get them back on the right path what um if you if you link that then to operationally and operate you know organizations are like are like people me and you both had bad habits and something prompted us to move into healthy habits and now we're you know we're smashing it in the gym or whatever it may be in the second lockdown from an operational point of view what 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 this period in your opinion taught us i think yeah i've said this is said this to you last week when we spoke and and i've said this a few times with the people at this you know, always look for the positive and always look for the learning that comes from anything that happens to us. And, you know, disaster forces change in a lot of cases. And this has been a, our, our biggest challenge as an industry. Um, you know, it's been a big challenge for everybody, don't get me wrong. But if I look at our industry in particular, because, you know, it's what we're talking about currently, this is an opportunity for us to learn about what can we do differently going forward um, and how do we change that. It's like anything anything brings out two sides and it either brings out the best in people or the worst in people these types of situations and there has been some of that where you see operationally organizations that have done it badly or are coming out of the other end of it badly um because they want to get back to normal as soon as possible it's like well is that the right thing to do um think about what we've achieved over the last few months and, and, and how can you learn from that to give yourself a 
a, a better operating platform going forward. Um, but then you've got other organisations that have really embraced this as a as an opportunity for them to to accelerate some of the things that they've probably put on the back burner uh, over the last few years. So you know, if I look at it objectively and say people that had a good work from home strategy before the pandemic got through this very very easily. Not saying it was easy, but they could mobilise and get people ready and you know into a position where they were offering kind of business as usual service very very quickly uh, at the point where we were told that we couldn't work in the office anymore organizations that didn't have that already in place typically struggled to get people up and running and doing it but now that they've got them there and it's working and they've got back into a service rhythm that is, you know, acceptable to customers and, and those types of things. Why would you want to take a step back and why would you not kind of look to grow from there and, and, and kind of put some of these things in place? Similarly with processes and redesign and, you know, where organisations were just doing enough to for things to happen and, and, and organizations do it smoke and mirrors from a customer perspective everything's working well and it, it's working for them but actually you take away some of that fundamental stuff and that fundamental stuff might be the fact that i could speak to my colleague in the office next door and move something along in a process to a customer it seems seamless but organization it was quite hard work to get those things to move together you take the office environment away and you distribute that workforce out and everyone's at home and all of a sudden they go that process doesn't work anymore so we need to fix that process and those organizations were left behind a bit during the initial stage of the the pandemic and you, you kind of go okay so now you need to learn from that why would you want to go back so let's make a permanent change to that a permanent change to your procurement processes for, for things that would take weeks to authorize in the past you managed to get signed off within hours today so why can't we change that process and find a good balance now to, to make sure that's the way you operate going forward i think you know there's, there's learning to be had here for all of us um, and if we don't take the opportunity to do it, then we've kind of we, we, we've kind of lost we've lost something. And I think you know we've got to take some of the best things out of this real kind of difficult situation that we've all been in, and, and kind of try and turn it into a positive way forward for the industry for sure. I think the other bit, Martin, that's really kind of got on my it's upset me a little bit, and it kind of how we maintain through and through and martin hill wilson mentioned it on an earlier podcast view around kind of brand and and, and emotive cx a little bit and, and it, it kind of plays into that a little bit where you, where you look at some of the changes some organizations have made to policy uh, to procedure customer facing stuff where you think we're going to remember how we've been treated from a brand perspective as a customer now, going forward, if my insurance policy has changed to actually to a negative state, so you know a lot of businesses have turned around and said, actually, how do we fix this or protect ourselves in the future? Well, we'll protect ourselves by actually saying, if anything like this happens again, we're not covering you. Yeah. You know, whether that's holiday companies, whether it's insurance companies, whatever. So actually, they've put the onus and the problem back in the customer's mind. What we don't think about is the impact on our operational people because they'll know that's a real bad policy change and they're the people that are going to have to deal with it so not only are we going through a massive challenge personally we then from whoever in our organization decides that a change to the policy which has a negative impact on our consumer who has to deal with that our contact center people have to deal with that and they have to deal with the fallout of those decisions and they'll know it's wrong 
and they'll feel it to themselves that it's wrong because the customers and the humans and they go you know what so we have to find balance how do we protect the brand how do we protect our customers and how do we get through this with, with making sure we don't alienate our people in the middle um and and, and that's the bit that we've, we've really got to learn it's the uh, focus on people employee engagement those types of things that let's do things that don't make their life harder uh, and I think you know, in some cases we've probably done that um, as we started to come out of this uh, pandemic. That's a really good point because I, I genuinely hope, I, I think one of the lessons I've seen is that companies are appreciating their employees as individuals because they've had to engage with them in their homes. They've had to set them up in their homes and that, that's kind of like broken broken something they've broken through some kind of um, distinction between work and home. You know, you, you've had to go in and be considerate to people's personal circumstances that you might not have had to know about in, in the past. So people becoming individuals or being treated as individuals as f and the flex that that's meant for policies. I really hope that that isn't, that isn't changed. And I, I, can, I always have to think like, uh, whether it's an agent or in where I am now, an analyst, you, you can be, poor companies can just lump you in as a group and consider you all the same, that you respond to the same motivation, um, rather than thinking, how do I galvanize this group of individuals through esprit de corps, but around a, a vision recognizing that everyone is different um and i hope i really do hope that once this whether it's a hybrid or whether people have returned or once we don't have the kind of uh, the cloud hanging over us and we can just operate without fear yeah. um, that we haven't lost that individual consideration and it goes back to that everyone's on their own journey. So everyone has their own challenges, their own fears and, 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 and those types of things going forward, their own challenges. So we can't go back to a way of, you know, a sheep dip approach in terms of this is the shift rotation that you're working. This is how it looks. This is how it feels. You can't, you know, in my mind, can't go back to that. I think there has to be that flexibility has to continue. We've got to let people go at their own pace to a degree. Now, I get that operationally, we still need to protect our service goals and, and those types of things. But by and large, if you communicate well with your people, you know, and you've got some of that staffing right and you understand your, your demand and your capacity and, and, and those types of things, that actually just having communication and asking people what their preferences would be and, and how you can then support those preferences, you'll probably still find that you can deliver your service goals without having to force anything upon anybody, without having to dictate when people kind of work. And I think we've got used to a level of flexibility in our lives during this period. And you know, I've seen examples of this where you know, people can't commit to doing a nine or five in the home, but they can commit to, to, to doing some, maybe some back office work or processing work on an evening where, you know, some of their kind of personal responsibility is being passed over to a partner so they can sit and they can do some processing and they can be productive and we can still get our value for money out of our employees, but we do it in a way that's kind of suitable to them. Um, but still get the benefit from a business perspective. And I think we, need to be able to have that conversation and be able to just 
understand how that looks and feels for each of our individuals and then once we've done that you know that's the first part then the second part then is okay so now we understand our individuals and we understand where that is does it leave us with any gaps question um and how does that change our operating model going forward i think what a lot of organizations do is they'll go this is what our operating model needs to be and then try to fit the other things underneath and actually your starting points the people and i think because of where we are now and because of what's happened this year our people will truly truly have a hard look at their employer to see how they've been treated with uh, or, or how they've been treated with during this during this period and those that have been treated badly or haven't had that level of understanding and you know they haven't been protected or considered or or, or all those things they're the ones that once they can get to a point of walking away they'll walk away and 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 then we leave ourselves operationally at a greater risk so we owe it to ourselves to make sure we're understanding people and putting the the, the things in place that protects our protects our workforce um you know the other consideration i suppose on the back of that is if people do move into a more work from home strategy or hybrid model whatever that operating model ends up being for each organization we don't have to restrict ourselves anymore from a resourcing perspective so do i need to employ someone that lives five miles from the office anymore do i need to have people and, and, and recruit from you know an area that's close to where the the operation sits can i broaden that horizon now and actually start to bring in better talent from other regions because i don't need them in the office i can get them productive and i can get them do what i need to do and i can offer them something that maybe another organization can't um but i don't necessarily have to have to restrict my recruitment pool um in terms of where it's going so all these things organizations need to start thinking about and then from our side we just need to start thinking about how it impacts the industry going forward i think this could be the the biggest change our industry sees in my lifetime um you know i think it's accelerated things that we've been talking about for years and i've been doing this a long time now martin and i remember going back and talking about cloud contact centers kind of five six seven years ago and still having that same conversation about a cloud contact center six months ago and now all of a sudden everyone's gone actually this move to clouds not a bad idea um we should have done that before the pandemic hit um and it's things like that where it'll just you know people are going to make that change and make that leap a lot quicker and i think you know distributed work and being able to utilize a broader resource and and, and, and talent pool um across the across different regions gives us so much more flexibility and uh, ability to, to do things differently so you know organizations need to think about that they need to think if if we don't move forward and we don't adapt to 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 to, to what the future state looks like they're going to be left behind when you think about um so in your role you'll cover different types of technology that have an impact that all that are used within our industry you mentioned their kind of cloud what else have you seen in terms of um, some of the changes or put it this way when you look at 2021 maybe even this maybe more relevant the second half of 2021 what how will people utilize technology different in our industry different? I, think, 
so, so I think the, the, you know, the standard technologies that are in place will maintain, they'll just become more used, but they'll have to be used differently. Things like where, you know, resource planning, WFM type technology will, will, will always be uh, important and will always be instrumental. More so but, than before? Or? Yeah, I, I, depending on where we go. So I think understanding restrictions will be a key thing and capacity is a key thing. So, you know, we talk around when we came out of lockdown the first time, one of the things that our customers were talking around was, well, I've got a challenge now that because of the restrictions, distancing and, and, and uh, kind of uh, ingress and egress out of the building, break capacity in, in, in a kind of canteen, I can only have a certain percentage of my workforce in the office at any one time and they've got to be staggered time. So how do I schedule that? How do I make sure I can get the right balance of people in the office and the right balance? So I think those types of things have become really important for people to understand capacity constraints and, and what that looks like. Am I working from home? Am I working in the office? Is it a mixture of the two so i think wfm technology will need to adapt itself and, and become more mobile and, and those types of things to, to make sure the engagement's there the key things for me that i think we will see people really start to invest in and if they haven't already and you know good knowledge management systems organizations with good knowledge management systems were really quick to get up and running within uh, within the, the, the the first lockdown when because people had access to information really quickly they could answer questions you could multi-skill people really quickly so you know if you were in so for example if you were an insurance business and you know all of a sudden at no point in your forecasting for 2020 and you do holiday insurance did you think that 100 percent of your customers are going to try and ring and claim on that insurance right yeah. no one would have forecasted that right but at the same time they probably wouldn't have forecast that new policy conversations would drop but people with good knowledge management systems could say, actually, we need more of our resource dealing with this call. We don't have the capacity to train everybody, but you know what? We've got a knowledge management system that says, if you get a call about this, this is how you answer it. So actually, they could divert workforce really quickly, deal with that demand really quickly, and, and, and kind of move that forward. Similarly, any type of engagement or kind of performance management technology that allows you to do the value-add activity remotely, I think that's going to be critical as we move in. It, you know, if we decide to, as an industry, to, to, to have more people working from home considerably, the, 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 the piece around making sure that communications going out to the people, access to performance, access to, to kind of community knowledge and, and, and conversation and engagement, all those things that you lose from not being sat next to a manager or not being sat next to your team every day. How do you keep people engaged? You know, I, I kind of I made this joke a few times, but I wish I'd invest in Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something before the pandemic hit because, you know, you'd be, you'd be rolling in it now. But you kind of, it's those types of technologies that you need to start looking at and going, how do we make sure the right information is available to our people? How do we make sure that people are engaged around their performance? How do we make sure we still can coach and, and lead? Uh, from a management perspective and those types of things will become really really powerful for us um and that you know that that'll be my kind of my kind of view as we move forward i think you know 
all the stuff that was already there that we've talked about analytics technology those types of things are still really important and actually being able to analyze that data understand that data and understand impacts is is probably more important than ever where do we need to divert our resource how has our demand profile changed what's the likelihood of our demand profile staying that way and, and over what period of time and th these types of technologies will become more and more important and i think those organizations that are kind of been a bit of a laggard in moving forward they're they're the ones that have struggled to get back to a to a BAU state you know and you know I spoke to organizations that were up and running and, and, and back into a BAU state within kind of a week two weeks um, of, of the first lockdown and some that are still in a state of just dealing with kind of that emergency or urgent contact and, not, and, and while that's happening they've got this backlog of work that's just growing and growing and growing that they're just going to struggle to clear and you know that's going to impact customer it's going to impact your people it's going to be a really negative place to get yourself out of at the end i, I guess their customers customers aren't going to give them much leeway in terms of you know what lockdown one i think everyone accepted and we're all customers aren't we but everyone accepted I might not be able to get a hold of people because they're they're scrambling to to set themselves up. If there's people still doing that now, their customers aren't going to be sympathetic to them. And and, and if their re and if their answer to try to get out of this is by changing policies that negatively impact the customer, it makes things even worse. And that's what we're seeing. And I think you know you talk about there's there's a level of goodwill that we have, right? So. I, I still have loads of goodwill. I'm that kind of person, right? I, I will give people a chance because it's difficult for everybody. But collectively, that goodwill is going to get less and less. And, you know, that first, the first wave of the pandemic, you kind of go, actually, you know what? Let's forgive. Let's forgive what's happened because everyone's in the same situation. The problem is everyone's still in the same situation now, but organisations have either learned from what's happened in the past or they haven't. And the ones that haven't learned from that yet or put more permanent solutions in place, they're the ones that are going to feel the pinch going forward. And, you know, I, I think it's, we, I hate the phrase, the new normal, because I, I just think it's awful. But what, what, what my, my point is that actually there's nothing normal and nothing new and nothing whatever. Actually, it's just the way you change your work. And if you're still holding or treading water, thinking it's all going to disappear soon, so as soon as it disappears, we can just get back to normal and, and carry on they're the ones that are kidding themselves you know we are going through a significant change that like i said the, probably the biggest change our industry's ever seen and um in my lifetime and, and if we don't do something about it now you are going to be left so far behind that you, you're going to struggle to catch back up and you know they've got to start taking this seriously now what does our future operating state look like and start to make some of those decisions now before it's too late you mentioned earlier and i know I know central to you and how you operate is your kind of like you mentioned it already today around the importance of people. Yeah. To pick your brains about something that's intrigued me. We we've we've been lucky enough that we've still been recruiting, but we now have induction classes who have been recruited, inducted, trained, and are now live, all remote. They've not physically been in our office, physically met any of their teammates, managers peers if you think that that's widespread in the industry what does that mean do you think what are the implications of that going forward what are your thoughts on that i think culture is a big thing so i think it's 
the, the challenge organization, you know, the beauty of a lot of organizations is the culture they develop in terms of how they, um, um, you know, kind of bring their people up through the operation. This is how we work. This is how we operate. This is how we um, deal with our customers, those types of things. And again, from a, you know, an office perspective, I always find it really unique. And it, it could be the same organization and you could go to three different sites. Now, their overarching culture might be the same in terms of the vision and what they're trying to do, but actually the people inside it and how that culture is interpreted and actually delivered against could be really different because of the region that you're in or, you know, the country that you're in or whatever it might be. That's the biggest challenge, that an organization that prides itself on its culture has to understand how their culture is now changing because those relationships aren't being built in the same way um it's harder i think i think uh, bear with me here i think we all put on our work persona right so we were at home and i'm chris at home if i was me all the time uh, my wife would have divorced me years ago right so there has to be there has to be a balance, right? That there's the, the, and everyone does it. You kind of walk into work again. You said it before. A lot of people won't know your personal circumstances. You build a little bit of wall, and but you can make friendships. You can make connections. You can make colleagues, and you can do those types of things. And you can and, and you can and you can learn about each other too. And but you always have a level. Some people are more open than others, and and, and kind of bracket. As we move forward, I think it's harder and harder for people to separate life and work in terms of the personality that they portray i think it's harder now you know in terms of i've probably become more of the normal me when i'm working which has been a shock to some people i'm a bit more sweary in real life than i am in a professional life i've become a bit more sweary when i'm working and um, luckily we've, we've we've not slipped during this this conversation martin but you know i'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a northerner, right? And, and you know, it's part and parcel of how we how we communicate. But I, 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 those types of things are starting to sneak through, and I think that's going to be the challenge for any organisation when they're looking at culture and, and 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 people. Is that we will probably get more honest versions of the people we employ, and we just need to be aware of that and and be aware that that's going to change some of the demographic of our business and 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 and, and, and that kind of culture that we're trying to promote. We have to be really clear. I think on what goals are and what our outcomes need to be and make sure we support people to deliver against them. But it's going to be a, a real challenge for people where they have this kind of cultural, cultural kind of um, differentiator that says, come and work for us because we've got these funky offices and we've got this, you know, funky break room and you get these sensory rooms where you can go in and chill out and all these great stuff that people have invested so heavily in over the last few years to make the workplace more engaged and the workplace more inviting. How do you replicate that level of engagement when someone sat in a bedroom or someone sat on the kitchen table and those types of things, what do you do? And, and that's where people need to start being more creative now. I think you're dead right. You're absolutely right. For me as well, it comes down to, it's based on, it's gonna be based on interactions like this. For the new people that have joined us, what their experience of our company is gonna be like will be based on the existing team, the experienced team members that interact with them on a, on a daily basis. So you're right. The kind of the culture isn't something that's on a wall or a table tennis table or all of those nice things to help that have all been done with the right intentions. 
it's not, is it? It's it's about people and the investment in people and making them yeah. better, and, more emotionally intelligent and aware. And we have to invest in the right people at the right level as well. And I think one of my biggest kind of bugbears sometimes around our industry is that we 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 invest well in people and you know i get that but sometimes the forgotten role within all that is that team leader team manager level of of, of individual i think we forget about them and you know i did some research on this a year or two ago but it was we have as an industry the youngest population of people that are in that senior role and a team leader or a team manager. Like the average age in the UK contact centre industry is it was either 20 or 21. Now that's a lot of responsibility on someone that's relatively young that have typically moved up through the ranks. And you know, when they were 17, 18, they were just an you know, they were an advisor on the phone and then they've moved up through through the ranks. And then as an industry, we've changed. We, you know, when we first, when I first got into this, you know, you kind of you look at future and past, and you kind of go, if I was held to account in the past on today's standards, I wouldn't have a job, right? <laughs> if I look back to my team manager days, right? Because I, there's that bit, right? My management style probably wouldn't get me anywhere near a, near a door. And I, I'm, you know, I've developed and grown over time, but one of those things. But we were very much managers of process. And HR process, so have you logged in on time? How long have you been in after call work? You know, how many absences you've had today? Three strikes and you're out. You're kind of managing these process and being a, a, a kind of, not a dictator, that's the right, wrong word, but it's, you, you, it was very dictatorial in, in, in terms of how you manage people. And then kind of late 90s, early 2000s, and, and kind of there, there was that change towards a, customer, a coaching culture which was great and I fully advocate that and, and, and the development of people and whatever. But what we had was actually a load of managers that weren't used to doing that people stuff. They were just used to ticking boxes and going, you're not in work on time or, you know, your stats aren't right or whatever it might be. But we did, and then organisations that were good started to invest in those people to develop those skills and, and make them more kind of people managers as opposed to process managers. And I think we're at another shift in that, that now we've got all these coaches who we've taught to be uh, open and honest and, and supportive of our people and, and, and focus on development and those types of things. Then all of a sudden we've gone, everyone's at home now. And you've got a group of 20, 21 year old people that are going through exactly the same challenges as us, as, 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 as you know, in terms of the restrictions they've got, that have got to try and remain positive, trying to engage their people trying to understand their personal circumstances, which some of them are going to be, you know, quite hard to kind of, um, you know, to, to, to get your head around because you might not have had that experience in life or whatever it might be. And that we expect the, the, the same group of people then to become counsellors and, 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 and supportive. And they're the people that we need to invest in, those people that uh, are... Uh, looking after our operational teams are critical for any future state for your business. They have to be because they're the ones that are going to have the day-to-day -day conversations. They're the ones that are going to be the kind of voice of the culture they're trying to develop in, in this new world for them or this new operating process. That's the focus. The focus is that team leader, team manager role. Because that for me is the forgotten role in all this sometimes. And you know, we're asking them to do exactly the same as what we're asking the rest of our operation to do. Get home, you know, 
deal with your own personal circumstances, but then also deal with those same challenges that your team of 12 or 10 or 15 or whatever that number might be are also bringing to you every day. And, you know, that's, that's where we have, you know, we have to have focus on. And it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the only way we'll, 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 we'll get this to work for me. I think that's a, a really good point. I, just reflecting on what you were saying and thinking about our team, our clients' teams, the strata, if, if you like, of an organisational hierarchy that's absolutely been the superstars throughout all of this has been the team leader um, population. Just how they've had to adapt, I mean, blow, blows, my, blows my mind. And like you say, to try and to try and do what they've got to do, plus also be the fonts of knowledge and direct their team and all of the multitude of different tasks and plates that they're, that they're spinning and still dealing with their own stuff um, personally as well. Yeah, it's... Motivating people when, you, when it's hard to motivate yourself is the worst thing in the world. It, it is because it compounds any issue you have. Now, goes back to that persona piece of going, right, I need to be positive and I need to be motivational, I need to be supportive of my team, but inside I'm, I'm struggling, you know, and you're kind of going, so we've got to make sure we're protecting those people as well, we have to, and, you know, because there's a breaking point in everybody, everybody has a breaking point, some are more resilient than others, and, you know, the pandemic has shown that for sure, um, but even the most resilient people I've found, myself included, have had some really dark moments over the last few months. I think everybody has. You know, I found myself crying at really stupid stuff and you kind of think, where does that emotion come from? I'm not necessarily an emotional person. And But you kind of... I think everyone has become more emotional. They've become more, you know, more acute of their own mental health because we've had to. We've had to look after ourselves and we've got to maintain that as we move forward. I think, you know, that... that protection of those people and, and understanding their own so you know take that up a level to so the operational leaders or the, the contact centre leaders or whoever they are that the, the team managers are responsible to they need to make sure they're protecting their people as much as we're expecting them to protect the, the, the advisors on the, on the front line. You're right and you made that point earlier around as well as protection it's about arming people with the skill set to be able yep. to um, go through a working day and if you think about a team leader population we do challenge people there aren't many industries where at a young age or even if it's not age you're inexperienced to lead 15 I think the span, average span of control is but up yeah. to 20 um, people in any organize in any format out, outside of a contact center would be uh, you know further on down in your career let's say yeah. wouldn't it agreed and we just we just throw it upon people and we have lot, lots of team leaders now having to operate i keep thinking about this is think about when i was a team leader i i used non-verbal cues body language those kind of interactions i, I would like to say i was a good naturally gauge of how people were all of that would be taken away from me yeah. to some extent or a big extent and how to sense when people aren't feeling well and that kind of um, people looking to you to help them through this period, this crisis, yeah. managing people's mental health and you're doing it all remotely. I'm in awe of what I've seen. Yeah. 
you know, we, we put a big onus, didn't we, in, 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 you know, that kind of middle of the, you know, late 90s, 2000s and kind of mid 2000s, you know, one of the big things was management by walking about, right? So, so we, 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 give, we give everybody this skill to sign and kind of go out, understand the signs, you know, yeah. understand the body language, what's going on, is the frustration, heads in hands, those types of things, right? So you can walk around and you can just go, I think there's a problem there, I'm going to pull up a chair, have a chat. All of a sudden, we can't do any of that. So how do we virtually manage the floor? How do you do that now? How do you kind of make sure people, what is it? It goes back to your point. How do you make sure that regular communication's in place? Do you start to build that into people's schedules? You know, and say, you know what, actually bring back things like, you know, if you go back in, in early days, we used to have, you know, the daily stand-ups and, 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 and those types of things. But, you know, it might sound stupid, but why don't we do this now virtually? So, you know, before the shift, team leader, get everybody on going, right, let's go on, what's going on? This is what my diary's like today. This is where I'm available. If you want to chat one-to-one, put some time in and we'll just do it. So none of this kind of forced coaching where you're doing something at the same time every week. You're going, this is my calendar. It is open. These are the slots that are available to you. If you need time, just put it in and let's have a chat. And you can chat about anything you want. I don't care whether it's work-related, personal. You just want to talk about last night's footy result. Don't care, you know. Just make sure you're giving that kind of um, that open door virtually uh, and that availability for people, so they can, you know, they can maximise that time. Definitely, I think one of the we do this thing where. Uh, you've got to get everyone to buy into the, the the kind of not the rules, but the scoring guideline, if you like, one to t- just one to ten. Where are you? How are you on a mental health perspective? Ten being great, never better. One obviously not so good. You know, work terrible. Um, that that's the first question. Where are you? One to ten. The second one is: Do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about it? I think you know again if you're if you're leading 15 people you want to be able to get a sense of where people are at and like you say gone are the gone are the clues I can remember walking in once and one of the team was conducting calls lying on his back on the floor you know and you don't need to be a genius to go well let's go have a chat um, yeah, but, but it's that thing you know if we're going to do that goes back to that point protect the team leader and team manager population to give them the time to do that so don't bombard them or put them under pressure to deliver against other things so what is actually important in their role the most important thing in their role for me is looking after their people that has to be the primary concern now work stuff that sits around it let's have a look and see what we can take away to give them that time to be able to support their people. So don't give them the distraction. Don't give them, you know, too much that stops them spending that value added time with their, with their people. Um, and that like I say, don't put structure around it. Just let people talk about what they want. I think, you know, more so than ever talking will get us through whatever's being thrown at us at the minute you know we, we need to get stuff off his chest and especially if you're confined to your house you know if you think about meaningful conversations that i've had 99 percent of them have been with my wife uh, and, and and probably one percent of them has been with my daughter um, outside of the conversations i have at work but when i'm having a work conversation there's typically a reason for that work conversation right it's not about general chit chat and that was the hard thing to that first 
first lockdown. The next time was actually now we need to start making sure we're doing regular conversations that are about just nothing. I don't even, you know, just talk about anything. Doesn't matter how mundane it is or, or whatever it is. You just need to get that stuff off your chest um, because, you know, you've got your own, like I say, personal balances. And my wife doesn't want to hear me mourning all the time. You know, she doesn't want that. Someone else has to take that responsibility. So we, we need... Yeah. <laughs> um, we're up for time, but what I'm thinking, we still haven't really gone through some of the stuff that um, me and you've talked about outside of this. If it was too long from appearance one to appearance two let's call this part one and if you're yep. me and you let's organize something for next week yep um and carry this conversation on um so this this isn't the end so i don't even need to say goodbye or anything so go and have a cup of tea when you then carry on listening this will have been a week later you can get your head around that <laughs> oh no we've had a coffee right and then we've come back <laughs> We've done something. Um, <laughs> we're, we're doing it. I feel like we can do it a bit differently with the, with you because um, this is more like Joe Rogan. Well, I'm not going to say we're, I'm anything like Joe Rogan other than lack of hair, but his a kind of his podcasts are a good couple of hours long and they go wherever they yeah they fancy, don't they? Yeah, I like I like, I like listening to the Rogan podcast. I must admit. So we were just saying then about we talked we talked more about the industry. But um, we're, you know, we're human beings and we're, we're friends and we've had, we have chats that are kind of, we don't record, but actually we're just going to record them and, and yeah. see, see what happens. See what happens. Um, yeah. And we, um, we both sort of talked about together the, the differences in, in lockdowns and what, what we think is happening. We've, we've both got children and the impact there. Where, where's your head at on that? Um, I, I, you know, I, my overarching view is one of fear, I think. I, in, in fear in a way that saying I'm fearful for missing something in terms of we've had to cope with lots of stuff personally. Um, and, and everyone's been different, you know, but it's impacted everybody in some way, shape or form, which is unheard of, I think, in my lifetime anyway, and probably in multiple generations, you know, that there's been an event that's impacted everybody in some way, but impacted certain elements of life that you don't know if you'll ever get back to a point where, or what your potential could have been without missing out that gap, you know, I think it's just a big gap uh, in everybody's life, especially that first lockdown. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about, school being one of my big challenges is understanding um you know what the impact of that part of school life that my daughter missed for you know she was just on that journey into year seven she'd, she'd only just started getting into a routine it's a big transition from primary school up into into secondary school just getting comfortable just getting into a routine and that just gets pulled away from her uh, and we didn't have the luxury of, of, of time in the sense to spend time with her from a teaching capacity. And I know a lot of people did and, and, and everyone was trying to struggle that balance of work and, uh, and, and home life. But both me and my wife have worked full time throughout the full pan pandemic. And for all that, we've had a level of flexibility with our employers to be able to kind of support some of the challenges we had at home. We couldn't dedicate 
you know, five, six hours a day to to Amy's education alongside having to deliver our, our work objectives. So that becomes really tricky. And I just worry now as she's gone back into school in September and um, some of the disruption that's happening around that and just the way the whole school system's working in her school where it's bubbled so she's not getting the same level of interaction that she had and they're trying to get caught up on curriculum work and I just find that she's really struggling now um, in terms of A, her motivation but B, her ability to absorb the knowledge and utilise it in a way that's uh, going to be beneficial. It's the first time I've ever been worried about her from a schooling perspective. She's always taken to it quite well and not saying she's the you know the, the smartest kid in school, but she's always applied herself in a way that means she does enough to, to kind of carry the knowledge and, and do well in tests and, and all those types of things. And that's not happening at the minute. It's a struggle. And I just think that's my, you know, one of the biggest worries I have about what does what's the long-term impact of this year for for all of us, really, because there'll be other there'll be other examples of that in, in other people's lives around what that gap has, has caused them. Um, you know, I think it's the, it's the coming out of the other end of it. How does that actually uh, make itself uh, uh, make itself known, really? I think that's where we're going to start seeing, you know, we talk around second waves and those sorts of things. I think the, the biggest challenge for us now is dealing with the, um, the fallout of this for the younger generation, but for those others that have struggled, whether they've, they've lost work through this, they've, they've financially been burdened by, by certain elements. And that's where now the biggest fear for me is, is that we have created um, created a society of, of people that uh, are struggling and, and are going to struggle for a number of years. And how do we make sure we kind of protect those people in, in some way, shape or form? It's interesting, isn't it? Because through my... Uh, our blended family. I have we've got five children, all through different ages. So I've got my eldest daughter completing the final year of uni, and that's just been a crazy, crazy time. My son um, was one of the ones caught up in the A levels where they got predicted he wasn't able to sit his exams. Yeah. Um, he was he was pleased because he'd done a lot of his coursework and all the marks and things were really good. But friends of his that had been hoping to turn it around at the exams because they hadn't done so well up to that point <clears throat> suffered. And then the three girls are kind of 12, 11, you know, 12, 14. Um, like you, having to kind of see... Oh, look. <laughs> delivery. <laughs> Hang on. Is it that what happens? It's just what happens now. This is Pavlovian conditioning. This is the new normal. Oh, it's not even for me. That is always the worst. It is it is never yeah. for you? It's not uh, for me, mate. Sorry. I all the time. It's on. It's only my wife. Body shop. Orders and Sorry everyone that's listening, I can't even tell you what it is. Um, yeah, so they're all at different ages, they're all kind of in different years and um, Harmony, the youngest, missed out on the end of primary school celebration and has moved into senior school during all of this. And you think about what they've missed out, even Taylor missing out on doing the A-level exams and having that experience. But they've been, I mean, I don't, I'm sure it's the same with your daughter. The kids are just, 
they've had some wobbles. Yeah. But they're so adaptable. They're so resilient. And yeah. part of me is thinking, this is, like you say, it's, it's an event we're all going through everyone. There's no one that's immune to this. Such a massively disruptive event for all of society just kind of makes you hope that going forward we'll we will question the validity of some of our processes and some of the things that are in place so we'll start thinking more so if it comes to thinking about schooling and education and how do you assess people's exam results and what that means that we'll actually have to think harder apply more effort to give people a fair shout rather than just relying on processes where you don't have to think. I don't know. I'm hope, I'm trying to be optimistic um, because it's, don't get me wrong, it's easy to be optimistic where, like you, I've worked all the way through the pandemic. Yeah. I can't imagine no. what I get to see through friends and contacts on LinkedIn, the struggles of not being able to work, yeah. or even for people that were furloughed where they said initially it was kind of like, oh, great, this is brilliant. It's summer... Um, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and happy days. And then the fear starts creeping in, which yeah. is, hang on, should I be job hunting? Because I don't know if I'm going to have a, yeah. a job to go back to. So it's, it's all just up in the air, isn't it? It is. And that, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you kind of look at it and go, what, you, you try, and we, I talk this industry-wise, and you start talking to companies around, what's your future plan and what are you trying to do? And, you know, you're trying to move people on in their thinking so they've got something to, to plan for or get ready for, prepare. And, but you're right, because everything is still relatively unknown, you know, there's the announcement of the vaccine now and things, but you still don't know what that means to us as a society and how that's going to make us um, get back to a way of life that we're more familiar with. And, and, and so decision-making becomes really difficult in every walk of life, doesn't it? So it's like, do I book a holiday for next year? You know, something that you would do on instinct, right? And you just go, you know what, next year, there's my summer. Let's get something booked in. Let's get away, enjoy ourselves. You're now second-guessing yourself all the time and going, well, do I? Do I do that? Is it worth the risk? Because the industry's changed and I'm not as protected as I was before the, the pandemic. And things are, you just, you just can't do anything now on that spur of a moment that we've we've lost the ability to be um spontaneous yeah and 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 that is you know a big part of my life i'm a very spontaneous person i wake up one morning and go ah you know let's do this and let's go do something and you've kind of you can't do that anymore so you just think to yourself you, you start to feel really restricted in, in what you can do and really kind of just yeah tied tied into this kind of bubble of well i can't do anything so i'm not gonna uh, and you get into a different type of routine, and that different right type of routine becomes a bit more hard to maintain, I think, um, because it plays on your mind a lot more than, than what it used to do. I can't do something. It's a very can't-driven routine as opposed to I can do this, I can go and do that, I will go do this. and those. You just, yeah, I find it hard to get into a, into a positive routine at the minute. Even after, I mean... You must have felt, was it Wednesday, like vaccine day? It was announced, wasn't it? It's all, we're, we're ready to go. I mean, and yeah. straight away, that just felt like, yes. It did, it did, right? But I, it did, and I, and I get that. And I, I, I am 
I'll be, I'll be first in the line as soon as yeah. You know, I'm probably really down the bottom of the list, like to be fair, which is fine. I'm 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 quite happy with that. But you still think to yourself, I, I, I don't know. There's still a level of tentativeness around what does it actually mean? At what point, you know? And I, I know that the, the putting out dates, and you just think you know, Easter next year. But then you see someone else's opinion that it'll be potentially the start of summer, May, June time. And you just start thinking to yourself, this is what's been the problem all the way through this: is that the the different levels of information we get from the data that's available to us just creates a level of confusion and I think some people will be really up for it and go yeah we're gonna you know this is the start of something and be positive and I get that and I'm, I'm, I'm fully behind those people but we've had so many false starts since kind of February March that I just I, I just I'm still sitting there going no, I believe it when I see it type of mentality you know I've got I've got cynical through this whole thing I never used to be a cynical person but I, I feel like I've become a lot more cynical than, than I ever have been um, because I'm just not confident in the people that are delivering the messages anymore. Yeah, well, no, I get, I get that. Um, I, but like we were catching up, weren't we, just before hitting record? I had a, a morning visit, an unexpected morning visitor. I got a WhatsApp in the family group. My sister said, there's a gift on your doorstep. She lives about an hour away from us. And she dropped by. She's a paramedic, but she's been seconded to... Uh, the vaccine distribution team and she was on her way to the first sort of planning meeting and it was such a great way to like start the day I was like yes my sister you're doing it you're a superhero and um she was like yeah so they they've got the I said it was only like I stuck my head through her like uh window just like say hello and stuff and she um she said that they're planning for the vaccines being ready to distribute this coming week to the very first kind of priority people in healthcare and, and stuff like that. And they're using, they're starting as a starting point using the flu distribution model, right. but wanting to accelerate it. And the first part of the plan um, is up to from now until May, just getting it, getting it out there. We didn't have time to like ask her, ask her anything else so I think I'm still on a little bit of a just seeing it seeing some sort of practical yeah. Yeah. embodiment of just going out and and doing it you know and um one thing is for certain over the last year we've suddenly become well some of us more aware of things that perhaps we didn't think about in the past, like politics and science and... And, and sometimes it's, it's, yeah, I think so. I, you know, I've, I've spent years, but for a few different reasons. So you had, you know, we think about what we've gone through over the last few years within, you know, within, within the UK specifically, we had the Brexit, the general election. We then had the, the, the pandemic coming through. Brexit's now coming back to a fore because that ends in a, what, three weeks um, before we're out? Um, so all these things are going on. I think because no one's had anything else to do this year, right? <laughs> you know, people have taken, but oh, let's actually read some stuff and have a look at it and, 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 and start to try and understand it. And that can, it's a positive thing in the main, but does drive some negative behaviour. And we've all seen some of that, I think. You know, we, none of us are, are kind of 
blind to the fact that the opinions of people have been very challenging for others. I think there has been a lot of uh, toxicity and, 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 and anger um, at a social media level, which I kind of try to stay away from. I just post stuff that makes me laugh now. I try to find the, the, the humour in everything. Uh, sometimes gets me in trouble, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, but it's, you know, one of those things going, I, I just can't listen to that level of, you know, toxic, toxicity. It just, it just gets on my nerves to a point where I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try and just back away from it. But we have, and I, you know, and then we had the US election. I thought that was quite interesting. It was quite funny because I've spent years trying to get my wife interested in uh, in British politics and kind of get her into that and talk around these things and, and, and let, let make informed decisions. She spent all week watching CNN and I'm thinking, you've never showed this level of interest in anything. <laughs> but, but she's there with CNN shouting out to me oh he's taken this state or he's taken that <laughs> yeah. i was like brilliant right. but you know th these things i think because and i think it is because we've had very little else to focus on we start to focus on things that allow us to be more informed um and and, and i see that as a really positive thing you know it might the kind of output of that might be negative in, in some quarters but I think the debate's good um, as long as that debate remains civil and yeah. uh, you know and, and, and that's where I think that the line's been a struggle this year for, for a lot of people is remaining civil and, and and that's just because we're in a different mentality I think because we've got the additional stress of everything else that's going on we the outlet for that is through our opinion and sometimes that opinion will jar others so they'll have an alternative opinion and we've lost the ability i think to to just actually just agree to disagree sometimes and just go all right yeah you know, i respect your opinion but you know you're never going to change my mind and i'm not going to change your mind so why would we be arguing about it you know it's yeah you know, just just respect the fact that we've got a different view you know i absolutely yeah 100 percent agree albeit it comes back to one of your the, the original thing that you were talking about is it's education, 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 because I think it's okay when people are disagreeing if one side is 100% factually yeah. wrong to say that is wrong. I yeah. think where we've, where unfortunately, and hopefully this, this disruptive event and fingers crossed Trump goes and we, we, can, re, we can start learning the lessons of the last four years but and that being to have debate and that people do feel disenfranchised and have seized upon trump and brexit and other things to kind of voice voice their disgust or being feeling like the system has left them behind and there's real validity and merit in that but where i think it's got really dangerous is to say you know, Dave on Facebook, who used to buy acid from a guy down the pub who had one eye, is challenging scientists' view of whether vaccines are safe. Yeah, no, you know, because I... that you know, you can say no, that you you are wrong, and it's okay to where I think we've lost the ability is my opinion is as good as yours. Yeah, it is an opinion, but when it yeah. comes to what is correct and what isn't, and what yeah, is yeah. dangerous and what isn't, yeah. you should be able to say someone is wrong. And yeah. for us to go, okay, fine, I hear you, but if you can't accept your wrong and change, we're just going to ignore you and carry on and do the right thing. 
that's a bit. I think sometimes it's that it's that thing of going just recognizing that the person you're speaking to is just wrong. Yeah. And and but when they're just wrong, yeah, call them out on being wrong. But what sense happening is the, the the other person then begins to try and educate, and you know sometimes there's people that just can't be educated, and that's then when the friction starts, issue starts, and people start becoming personal and things like that. I think there is a line that you need to draw sometimes when, yep, call them out, they're wrong, and they're talking absolute rubbish. But then just walk away. Yeah, because they're just going to keep coming at you with their, you know, their, their rubbish that they don't know anything about, and they're never going to stop. So just walk away from it because it becomes really toxic really quickly. I like the the word you use there is debate, and I think that's something that we've would be great to see more of because very rarely do people change their minds. But some of that is because of the manner in which that we interact with each other. Yeah. Like you say, you only need to look at Facebook. That that's an, that's or Twitter or wherever. That's never a debate. It's just insult hurling from yeah. one side to the other and it's just sad to see and it's easy to do right so it's easy to be a get out now i always see if i'm having a debate with you martin in any setting if there is a difference of opinion at no point would i then resort to an insult yeah i i wouldn't that's just even not if we were talking leads and tottenham yeah, even even more so because you know it goes back to my opinion's always right when it comes to lead, so it's fine. Um, but <laughs> exactly so. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know. There are some people in society that would take over that line, but the same people that I know wouldn't do that in a face-to-face environment find it very easy to just throw an insult out when you when you're in a social media setting and that then I think is the is the fla- you know that inflames um, a different reaction from people and we just need to be careful around all that and you know as we go through I you know I saw a great debate and I think the problem we've got is that there's such a level of confusion around everything that's happened this year and, and different opinions but those a lot of those opinions are based on science or fact but everyone's just interpreting in a different way I remember having it was probably mid mid lockdown one there was a debate on uh, sky news and they had uh, four or five it was five different um, scientists in different fields around kind of virus control and protection all discussing the same data sets but all having a completely different opinion on how to deal with it anything and these are people that are all educated to a similar level they're all working in the same field they're all using the same data to to decide on what the plan should be to tackle it and they were all coming up with different solutions and that for me is what's driven a lot of the confusion and, and, and is the risk for us all where we lose a bit of faith in what's happening because you see these different approaches being taken and in 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 their mind as the people that are leading on those approaches the right thing to do based on the advice that they're getting from the people that are educated to understand that data interpret it and and deliver a plan against it and you know that for me was a really interesting thing to watch because you you could i started to have a sense of understanding then around how as a as a nation I was potentially as a, as a group of nations within the United Kingdom, as a as a as a, as a global kind of um, entity, started to go. You can start to understand why everyone's doing something slightly different, because the people that we are relying on 
to deliver the solution are all having a different view of what that data is telling them and how to, to, to best respond to it. And that, you know, that for me was my eye-opening moment was yeah. watching that and going, I get that, you know, and, 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 I, and I kind of start to understand why there's so much difference and who knows who's right, wrong or not, you know. Well, time, some, time, will, time will tell. Yeah. Because it's, we're dealing with an unknown, aren't we? I guess yeah. for me, it's kind of when you hear people and for those that know me, they will know I am the absolute opposite end of being a, a Tory. Um, I'd say I'm close to being a socialist, but recently just hearing um, someone like John Major talking about, I think he was talking about Brexit. It just made me think, I wish it made me hark back for wanting that people that have fundamental differences of how government and society should treat those that need help or um, you know public services people have had fundamental differences between conservatives and labor but they haven't resorted to not engaging in any kind of conversational cross-party working together at the moment it is just and i think this is where politicians need to take a long hard look at themselves from both sides because we as the public have sent several messages that we don't like how they conduct themselves yet especially the government right now they're not they're not engaged this is they're not they should be the role models yes. of how to discourse how to deal with tricky situations in a civilized intelligent respectful way but it's not it's ignore no. facts shout at each other it's pathetic and that's the thing for me right it's like there is this you know if i if, if I, brexit's a good example right because if you even think about when brexit started this wasn't about party politics so there were people on both sides of the fence from every political party so there were, you know there was people campaigning for brexit whether they were labor conservative ukip whatever and then there was ones that were campaigning against it from all the parties as well so there, it wasn't about party politics it was just about a state of mind as soon as that referendum happened it then became about party politics yeah. where you know the conservative party had to push the brexit the, you know the, the had to push brexit through because they were the government in charge and then labor had to have an opposite stance but that wasn't the case at the start of the whole pitch so why didn't we continue that you said that collaborative working and saying all right so we've this is a decision as a nation we've made let's have representatives from the part you know from all the different parties to look at the plan and how we move that forward and and actually let the Tories as it were run the country and do the stuff that we needed to focus on because we lost a lot of focus i think in, in, in as a nation on on some of the other stuff because brexit became the all seeing and all being thing that it was for a number of years and so i think there was a bit of that and then but then it's the same with the pandemic the pandemic isn't it, it's not a political exactly. situation it, but it's become a political situation where you've got you know you've got the tory party saying these are the restrictions and by default then labor have to oppose that or not oppose it but it becomes all right so you know conservative party is saying this and boris is saying this or nicola sturgeon saying what she's saying and there's there's differences there and everyone's kind of it, it's a it becomes a political bunfight again it's going you, you're not playing now you know this is real life this is real situations there are people dying there is people being put into poverty there is people 
really struggling, suicide rates are increasing. Yeah. You know, all these things that are a direct impact of a situation that no, none of us thought was going to come, that's bigger than anything. It's bigger than any political bun fighting. It's bigger yeah. than any of those that point scoring. It has to be now about the people. And because I said this, you know, the, the, the beginning of the second part of our chat, the problem we've got now, the fear I have is how do we recover from this? And I'm not on about economically because that's just going to be what it is. And, you know, we, we'll get through that in whatever way the, you know, as an economy, we'll, we will grow back again. I'm, I'm convinced by that because we're a good nation and, you know, all, all those things. What we won't be able to recover is the impact on people mentally, the impact on our children and their education, the impact on unemployment and industries that have been completely decimated. Those things are the, are the things that are now important and those are the things that the politicians need to focus on collectively to make it right and, and, and yeah. make sure we're protecting ourselves. And that's, I don't see any of that. No, um, that's the thing. They're not, they're, they're not showing role model behaviour where to address the things you've mentioned that you inherently is about kindness and treating people decently you know and be and and like you say i think we should we should require more of our leaders than than we currently we currently do but now is not the time to to do that we kind of we're still in the crisis aren't we we've got to get we've got to get through it and then then we can reflect on the best way forward and hold people accountable rightly for for the mistakes that have been made or for um the cronyism that you can see i mean you know people are profit profiteering out of this yeah. that is disgusting so it's, it's, you know it's like you know you look at it you know i've said this before that where there's where there's disaster there's opportunity now for me personally that opportunity is an opportunity to learn it's an opportunity to try and just engage again with my family you know i've spent nearly 10 years of of, of living out of a suitcase with work and, and, and packing things up and being able to spend this amount of time with my family has been a blessing right it's you know every cloud and, and all those things that you know and, and, and that's been great and but you're right, there is people out there that are seeing this as an opportunity to 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 capitalise on other people's misfortune. And that for me isn't the way as a society we should be acting in this this, you know, in, in, in this in these times. It's just it's awful to see sometimes. And you just look back and go, What have we done? What can we do? And all I can do is 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 just contribute the best way I feel, you know, and and, and do the things that I can do to you know, make sure everything I do, my family do, is is with a positive mindset to help people that we can help if we can help and support people. And you know, that's all I can do. It's all we can do as as a unit is to to try and behave in that way where we're using this as an opportunity to better ourselves rather than an opportunity to to um, capitalise on other people. And I think it's about being it's about being proactive. There, there isn't any action that's too small not to have a an impact. So if you can be kind, if you can do something, it doesn't matter how small it is. And if you can challenge as well. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know the free school meals campaign by Marcus Rashford. The impact you know a young man can have. Yeah, fine. Yeah, he has a wide audience. 
because um, he's a very talented um, footballer and we, we love footballers in our society. Nonetheless, what he did and the reaction to it was, on the whole, amazing, but also fascinating. And to your point about party politics, when the government voted against extending it, you know, when fundamentally it came down to the question of do you want to feed disadvantaged children? And you had some Tory MPs like Ben Bradley and some of the things that he said um, come out. I um, wrote or emailed to um, my local MP who voted against the programme just to ask didn't I, you know, it was just a very, it was a very respectful email, just asking, please, can you explain your rationale for, for voting against this, um, this measure? And um, he hasn't replied yet, <laughs> yeah, actually. But I, but I also asked, I've also asked him about um, his voting record on climate change as well, and have received a reply, yeah. because I think, it's important that politicians know that towing the party line doesn't represent necessarily their constituents' views. No. And that in a small way, because I got questioned um, from friends and family about well, why are you even bothering? They don't care. They're going to vote along to, uh, party lines and that they don't care about your opinion. I think they do. And I think if we, if we don't, if we do nothing, if we don't say actually i didn't you don't represent me in how you voted on this particular um yeah. I think, I think there's got to be a level of account there and i think you know there's, there's two bits to, it to me i think there's a bit that says there's a bit of peer pressure um in terms of the leadership probably within within the different political parties um which is commonplace i think in a, in a, in a lot of organizations and industries you know there's a there's a there's a level of sheep mentality to some things in terms of decision making because people don't want to challenge because that becomes then the second point which becomes around self-preservation and and i think there's a bit of that the, the worry for me is the complete ability to misread the um the the, the sense of the nation in every respect and there's been a few a few examples of this over the course of of, of this year where there's just a clear misinterpretation of how the nation is actually feeling um yeah. and, and 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 you kind of see the decisions being made and you think you cannot have asked anybody no you, you can't have gone out and asked anybody within your constituency your, your 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 public you can't have asked them because anybody would tell you that's not a good idea yeah you know yeah. read the room you know, we talk about this in, you know, in my line of work, you go in and go, read the room, right? Read the room. You know, you know when you can, you can sell hard, you know when you can have to take a step back, right? Read the room. And, and there's been none of that. There seems to have been absolutely none of that uh, throughout this whole, whole, whole situation. I started doing a, a kind of thing on the back of the, 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 the five o'clock briefings when they were happening every day and that became a real kind of source of focus for everybody. Quite interesting, wasn't it? Everybody just getting up and going, yeah. hey, five o'clock's here, let's listen to what they've got to say today. Whichever variation of the boy band came out, it didn't matter, <laughs> right? It was, uh, it, it was, it was there, right? And, and people kind of started to focus on this kind of five o'clock thing and you would sit at the end of these and go, you've not read the room here. Yeah. 
you start yourself, why? 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 You just yeah. got, you kept asking that, you know, kind of thing there. And it, it was just strange to see. They didn't put Pretty Patel back out again, did they? Well, you know, because she completely misread the situation, didn't she? And you just yeah. kind of think to yourself, what are you doing? Um, you do it, you know, at a, at a point where, and it started off relatively well, I think. I think yeah. there was, all, you know, yeah. in terms of those first few weeks, the things that, you know, in, in, in it work. Credit, credit where credit's due, right? I think there's a bit that says that that first wave of pandemic, yeah. you know, when, when Rishi Sunak stood up and said, this is what we're going to do. And, and I think, you know, whether, whether the solutions and the things that he put in place bear out to be the right decisions, that's by the by. I think the fact that he stood up early enough within that to go, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to try and do. This is our commitment. This whatever. And I think there was a sense of, right, okay, we don't know what's going on, so we're just going to have to accept some of this. And there was a level of um, goodwill from a nation. Yeah. We, we didn't know what's going on, so there's goodwill. Yeah. And, and, and so credit where credit is, I think the early days of it were there. The deeper we got into the mire, the cracks and the cracks came quite quickly um, because people were starting to get panicky, people were starting to feel restricted, people were starting to, you know, and that, that you know, that national wave of kind of spirit and things that was each slowly chipping away, you know, and you, you know, if you, I, I, I think that, that, you know, my view that the tipping point was when, you know, it got to mid-June, early, you know, mid-June, I think, we all kind of had had enough by then. You was know, that the, which was the one where the guy from Little Britain did, Go out, don't go out. Yeah, it was, well, it was, it was, I think it was roughly around when the change, because I think the, the first bit was very easy, wasn't it? You know what I mean? It was very, protect the NHS, save lives, stay inside, don't go outside, protect the NHS, say that. Very clear, very positive message. We, we're protecting people, we're protecting the resources that we need. Brilliant. And then it all started to get a little bit wishy-washy. Yeah. When it started to become a little bit wishy-washy, everybody was like, I've got no idea what's going on now. And then, at the same time as that happening, just after, you've then got people like Dominic Cummings doing what he did. Yeah. The moment that kind of thing happened, you're dead right, because actually I totally agree. It was well needed. It, it showed leadership. It was kind of reassuring. And actually coming together, we, I mentioned this the other day to um, Bev, actually. There's so many channels and ways to watch TV now you don't often feel like you're connected and watching events at the same time very often, unless it's a big sporting event, Olympics or football or whatever. Um, and the, the briefings, I think, did do that. People were watching because we needed to. Yeah. And we felt connected and there was, a, there was determination and goodwill. And, and, but that level of scrutiny, you know, it needs to be backed up with competency yeah. and plans and being all over it. And I think that's where people have started to go. We don't want catchphrases and yeah. The, yeah, you're entertaining and you're a bit bumbling. And we like that as British people, we like eccentricity, but right now, you know what, just do your job. Yeah. But that's a bit, it, it, again, it goes back to that point, doesn't it? Of going, you know, what is the mood of the nation? And, and again, goodwill at the start but when it started getting you know and I think even all of us at the start when they said we're going to a national lockdown be a couple of weeks and everyone was like you know what two weeks two weeks brilliant I can just sit in the house I don't have to travel for two weeks after yeah. we rush our way you know we kind of had this wave of just it's only a couple of weeks we can get through that 
Uh, and then it went on and it went on and it went on. But their approach didn't seem to change and the, the mood from the, 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 the briefings didn't seem to change. And then it became really argumentative. So when they were starting to get challenged by the, the journalists, challenged by the public in some cases, although, you know, the, clearly um, sifting through the questions to do ones that they could, you know, give some kind of response to. But, you know, they started, that's when, for me, it became not heads in sand territory, but very much became, um, this is what we're doing so tough. It, you know, it, it kind of changed from we're here to support you to you're going to do as you're told. Yeah, I have to admit, I think too often the journalists didn't do us or the whole situation any favours with their questions. Their questions were too argumentative rather than opportunities to clarify information, opportunities to find out more without it being... they, They weren't talking for us, I didn't feel then. It was just how do I annoy this person? How do I try and generate a headline? I found some of the questions bizarre. Um, yeah. When you combine that with people within the government not following their own rules, yeah. the moment that happened, it yeah. was like, okay, well, now you expect people to follow rules that have got a bit wishy-washy. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah, and I think that was it. That was, you know, as soon as we changed that that approach, and and, and it was just yeah, wishy washy. You know, that's the thing, wishy washy. People are just going to go out and do it, lose confidence, you lose trust, you lose all those things, and you just go, you know what, we're going to get on with life. Um, and the other thing for me was that you know we we kind of there was a level of expectation that we would go back into some kind of second line. And, you know, and, and again, this was mentioned early on that there would be potentially this peak winter virus. So, you know, that's what they said to us. I remember that really early on saying there's going to be a winter virus. There's a winter peak because it, 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 it you know, lives better in the cold and, and, and those types of things. So when it happened, and they were like going, oh, it, this wasn't about people. This was about the natural kind of life cycle of the virus for me. Because that's what they told us early on. At the very start, they went to us, as, it, as the warm weather comes in, we'll naturally see it decrease because... It's a cold ball virus in the main. So we will see that natural decrease, but we'll likely see, you know, as we get into the colder months, an increase. That happened. And then it became, you've all been naughty. But no, we haven't. <laughs> you know, you yeah. told us yeah. nine months ago that it's likely going to come back again in the winter. Eat out to help out. Yeah. Why have you all been going out? <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I think there was... It's that they of going, you know, that, that for me is that whole thing of just take some personal responsibility for, for what's happened. And yeah, you know, there will be a, a day of reckoning, there will for, for the government. You know, would, would another government dealt with it differently? We don't know. We'll never know, right? Hindsight is a wonderful thing. So we, you know, it's like any decision you make, Martin, you might decide I made the wrong decision then. You, you learn from it and move forward. The problem is the decisions I make at life and death. I think that's the... Yeah. And I don't think I'd want to be in that position to make those decisions, you know. Um, but those decisions, we we don't know, how, you know, presented with information and presented with data, which way we would have gone. At that point in time, uh, those moments when things were happening really quickly uh, with a, a speed that we weren't prepared for, and you're given some information and go make a decision. You make a decision. And, you know, whether that 
was the right or the wrong decision. We don't know. We don't know if they'd have gone the other way, if there'd have been any difference. We don't know. We just get kind of get a hindsight view now from people, and that's the bit that you know is 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 something we'll never we'll never really understand. You know, regardless of any um, investigation and how we handled it and those types of things, it's it's all going to be based on hindsight, and 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 that for me doesn't tell us the the true story. You know, we difficult decisions need to be made at difficult times, and you know, but never underestimate. I, I, anyone that's in public service that has to make decisions like that you know more more you know kudos to them however i think it's okay to say and challenge those people that if for example boris johnson didn't go to any cobra meetings yep. until sure. the last minute that's reprehensible and we should be able to say so yep. i agree after after the event i think um like I say, I never, you know, not a Tory at all. Um, however, in whatever way I could, I wanted to buy into and support the message of the government yeah. to get through this because it wasn't. It's not been the time for arguing, and I think we should we should still do that. It still amazes me when if I go to the supermarket and I see people brazenly not wearing a mask. They always look angry. I don't know why. I know. The people that don't wear masks always I got, look... I got, I got shouted at once wearing a mask. I got called a sheep because I was walking around the shop. Um, which, 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 you know, you just kind of think to yourself, come on, you know, we're, we're better than this as, as, as people. Um, but, you know, I kind of look at it now and go, what can we take? Positives out of this year, which has been a horrible year. And I look back over this year and go, I, know, I mentioned it before, spending time with my family, yeah. massive positive. I don't know if my wife feels exactly the same way, like, but um, you know, for me, it's been it's been a big positive that that we've done that. I think the other things as well that we learned about ourselves and we learned about our neighbours. I think that was really positive yeah. for me. We we had good good times over, you know, VE day and 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 and, and things like that where we had a little sit out in the front lawn and had a yeah. chat and a natter and a drink and got to know people that you know potentially we probably would have never built those relationships with had we been in our hundred mile an hour lives you know and i think you know i look at that even the the clap for the nhs on a thursday i thought that was brilliant but we turned our neighbors and we turned that into a thursday after thursday evening go out stand on the doorsteps have a nap there we we took it in turns to make cocktails or 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 something each week and we'd, we'd kind of try and outdo each other each week with a different drink and stuff like that and you'd kind of go out and knock on the door and leave it on the doorstep for them and they'd come out we'd have a drink and a nap for half an hour while uh while we did the clap and, and things like that and there's just things that i've done this year that i would never have thought i'd done i would have done because yeah you just don't have the time to do it or you don't have the time to think about it because yeah, like I say you, you're hundred mile an hour all the time. Yeah. And you know, for all the disruption and for all the challenges, I truly believe that we as a nation should come out of this stronger than ever. Um, in terms of some of those things, I'm not saying that'll be the case for everybody because it's everybody's different circumstances, but I think there is a lot, that we can be thankful for this year outside of all the negative stuff. I think it's shown that there's been a true spirit in, in, in some cases, community. You know, you look at some of the stuff that people are doing to just to help each other. You know, 
there's a story on the news every day about somebody helping somebody else because they're in a situation that is difficult for them to manage, you know, whether it's delivering, you know, computers out to kids and, and off their own back because they can't do the schoolwork or whether it's delivering the, the dinners, you know, there was that bloke on that was packing his rucksack every day and walking nearly 20 miles a day just round the streets of his local town delivering the, the, the meals to people. You just think, you know, this, this country is full of people that are phenomenal and, and I, you it, know if and if we come out at the end of this just recognizing those people you know i look towards the queen and a new year's honors list that if the, the statement and the mood of the country now is ignore the celebrities and ignore the people and that and actually let's have a real focus on the people that have done something that has proven us to be the best nation in the world by that sense of community that support that people have given that help that people have given that for me now would be the perfect way to end what has been a really really difficult year for people let's celebrate the pe- the good that everybody's done rather than focus on the negative stuff that's happened chris rain's fourth mbe <laughs> i'd like that <laughs> Thank you. for Let's make this a weekly thing. Let's catch up again next week. I do it every week, mate. I'm happy. I, I, I'll talk every day, mate. You know me. It's been right, good. Well, we will talk next week then, mate. Yeah, put somebody in the calendar. Rise of Rainsforth. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Well done for getting this far. So we will be talking again soon, myself and Chris. And uh, Chris was probably one of the first people to support the charity with a donation and that's Naomi House and Jack's Place as I mentioned before they're going to be the charity I'm going to be supporting as much as possible on the podcast they do amazing work but with a the specialism of the work they do they provide care for life limited children people that children that have been diagnosed with life limited diseases and they also provide a lovely environment for their their final moments and offer support to the families of all affected. So it's kind of harrowing, but all strangely uplifting work that they do. But of a 9 million per annum budget, they only get 10% funding. So everything else they get is from donations. So I've put a link in the post on LinkedIn. Uh, Please do uh, help support. The last thing I did was a run around my local town with Bev. We were both dressed as Santas and that was brilliant. It was very hot in there, but it was a really good laugh. And so far we're up to over £500 and Chris actually was one of the first two people to kick off the fundraising. So anything you can give would be really appreciated. Thanks for listening, everybody, and stay safe. (laughs) 